0: Well, all right, we're back and we're going to tackle starting uh, the book of Amos starting in chapter uh, 6. Amos chapter 6. But let me just give you a little bit. Remember, he's prophesying now around the year 750 to 7 or somewhere between 750 and 760 BC. And I'm telling you that because remember... We're counting down to zero here. And in 722 B.C., Assyria came and took out the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember that? So we're about you know 30 years away from this happening when Amos is prophesying. And remember, the kingdom split in 931 B.C. This is important. Ten tribes went to the north, and they set up shop remember, in Bethel and Dan. And they did something they weren't supposed to do. They set up golden calves and like self-styled or self-made temples and royal courts, worship centers. And they did that uh, around 931 B.C. This is important. And so you have the northern kingdom, but then two tribes went to the south. That's Benjamin and Judah. And they're called Judah or Well, anyway, they're called Judah or the southern kingdom. Well, primarily Amos, and his name means burdened. I think that's really important for the story and your understanding. Here's a man who was burdened. And he wasn't from the school of the prophets, folks. You know, in the book of Kings, you read about the school of the prophets. Well, this guy wasn't. And this is what's beautiful. I was just telling Jan before we came here tonight. I think we should do Amos for a men's group study. This is incredible. Here's this guy that had no theological training, and yet he had the greatest theological training. The Lord took him out while he was working as a sheep herder and spoke these things to him and prepared him for his work of prophesying to the northern kingdom. He's a man from the south who was just out in the countryside with his sheep and also a farmer. He picked fruit or raised fruit. We're going to learn about that today. And the Lord just used that and gave him a burden. And he went up to the royal palace in Bethel, house of God in the north. It's in the southernmost part of the northern kingdom. And he spoke into the royal court, Jeroboam II, and said, hey man, There's judgment coming, and we've been reading about that and thinking about that over the last several weeks or the last couple weeks. Remember, this book started with a pronouncement of judgment on eight nations, six Gentile nations. That's through chapters one and the beginning of chapter two. Then he speaks of Judah, the southern uh, kingdom, having judgment, and also Israel having judgment. And Last time, we saw the corruption from chapter 3 to chapter 5. We're going to look at the rest of the corruption now. And then we're going to go on into chapter 7 and 8 and 9. And that's where there's five visions of judgment. And it's really interesting. The Lord uses things that were natural or around Amos when he was working and gave him judgment about these things. And see, I think that speaks of what the Lord is like. He just takes who you are, how he's made you, fashioned you, and supernaturally natural, supernaturally naturally, (laughs) he works out things in your life so that you'll be a person who shares his love and light. You don't have to be like me, or I don't have to be like you. You can be you, and the Lord uses you. But I think there's one thing you have to be, burdened. And the reason I say that is, this whole chapter, or this whole book, is about complacency, or luxury, or pleasure, or hobbies, or indulgences, and none of the things in and of themselves are bad. In fact, they're doing churchy things. You'll read about it tonight. <laughs> and yet, I think the Bible is saying to us, and to them first, but now to us, Wake up! Just because you go to the church, or give money, or sing, doesn't mean your heart's in it. And he says here, in the, the burdened man, or excuse me, the Bible says... Listen to these things from Psalm 119. Listen to this. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. That's in Psalm 119 verse 53. But how about this one? You know this one, I bet. Psalm 119, 136. Rivers of water run down from my eyes. That's a fancy way of saying I was crying. Because men do not keep your law. The psalmist here has this burden for people. Has this burden for people. And that's what we're to be, in a sense. Watchmen, people who would stand in the gap for other people, you know? And here, watch this. Remember last time, I just want you to see this, in verse 18 of chapter 5. The Lord said, woe, and when he says woe, Better take a, take note, right? And he says one thing that was happening that was pervasive here after the kingdom has split, and now there's a time of peace and prosperity under Jeroboam II. In this era, there's peace and prosperity. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Apparently, the people in Israel were saying, well, man, we can't wait till the Lord comes back in judgment. Because I know he's going to sock it to the Gentiles, but we're in the clear because we're of the people of God and we got the proper pedigree and we've been raised and we got temple and we got the whole thing, but we're, we're fine. But the Lord says here in Amos, I want you to go tell them, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now think about that, especially the people up in the North, the Northern kingdom, they'd set up worship centers that they weren't supposed to set up folks. They were supposed to be coming back to Jerusalem for their temple things, but they weren't doing it. They were staying because of convenience and some other things. They were staying up in the north, and they were doing worshipy-type things, but not as God had prescribed it. Interesting, huh? So they say, woe to you who desire... The Lord says through Amos, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. They had no idea what is coming. And I wanted you to see that and remember that. And then he goes on, look at this in chapter 6, another woe. (laughs) Man, the Bible in some places, I I don't know if I should say this is funny, but man, this is in a healthy way, a clever little uh, uh, verse in the Hebrew. And I'll explain it to you. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. These are people who are complacent. They're at ease. They trust in Mount Samaria. Now, Samaria is in the north, everybody. Just hang with me now. If you know the players of the Bible and the map of the Bible, you're going to know the Bible in an amazing way. And Samaria is up to the north. That's in the northern kingdom. And they trusted in the heights of Samaria. Notable persons in the nation uh, to whom the house of Israel comes. Uh, go over to Kauna and see, and from there, go to Hamath uh, the Great. Then go down to the Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater uh, than your territory? I'm sorry. The play on words is in chapter 8. We'll get there. <laughs> but what's he saying here? You trusting in places and... You're trusting in the things like Mount Samaria, where you weren't even supposed to be. Remember, the temple is in Jerusalem, and Mount Zion is Jerusalem. So he's saying here, woe to you in the south now. Everybody track with me. You two kingdoms, because you're complacent. Now listen, we can be complacent. We come on Wednesday nights. We serve. We give money. We help old ladies across the street, or whatever it is. And the Lord just wants our heart. And here, they're trusting in a place, a place, and they're saying, go over to Kaunah and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to the Gath. Are you better than these kingdoms? Apparently... These places, which were in the coastal areas, which were the people of Philistia, Assyria was already attacking these great fortified places. And God picks them out and says, I've already taken care of them and they were fortified. And you think they're great cities. Guess what's coming for you? Are you better than these kingdoms or is their territory greater than your territory? How about this? Woe to you? who put far off the day of doom. Isn't that fascinating? What does Peter say? There's going to be scoffers in the last day who are going to say, come on, seriously? Seriously? You believe that about Jesus coming again? That's what the there's going to be in the last day. Well, it's nothing new. Look at this. Woe to you who put far off the day of doom. Now, he's talking to the people of God here, folks. <clears throat> you put it off. You don't think it's coming uh, you you don't know uh, you, you know you know whether it's coming today or not, but you think it's just far off, and you just become complacent, and you that causes you to do things that aren't very godly. In fact, in the New Testament, remember, the coming of the Lord in His second coming is called a purifying doctrine. Do you remember this? Okay, watch this. Woe to you who put far off the day of doom who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David. Folks, He's talking to the people of God, and he's saying, you've become very cruel to people. You have become very uh, uh, luxurious, and you love luxury, and you want to be a pleaser of the self. Remember that. uh, In 2 Timothy, it actually says, in the last days, people become lovers of pleasure. It says that in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 4. You remember that? Jesus comments, on this in uh, uh, Luke 21 also, about how people are going to be like that. Well, it's no, nothing new. They were being prophesied about, we're going to see it here in a minute, about the day of the Lord. They've been prophesied in several uh, from several prophets, and they were just saying, well, you know, that's coming in a long time, so we're going to do this thing and that thing, and it wasn't a purifying doctrine for them. They didn't live godly. They even sang idly. Do you get that? They came into the churches and they just sang. It was just entertainment. It was just whatever. It was nothing, uh, um, you know, that was meaningful from the heart, real worship. They drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. He's saying, I've been telling you now, and other prophets have been telling you, that Joseph which is another way of saying the people of Israel, they are, afflictions coming, but you're not really grieved for that. Therefore, they shall now go captives as the first of the captives. In other words, the people he was prophesying in the royal palaces, the leaders are going to go into captivity first. And those who recline at banquets shall be removed. The Lord, watch this. When the Lord God swears by himself, it's serious. The Lord God has sworn by Himself, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. And that is from Psalm 47 4. It's the same phrase as the promised land. He's saying, I abhor the promised land. Think about that. He was the one who set up the, them in the promised land and hate His palaces. Therefore, Uh, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. All that is in it. Um, Then it shall come to pass, he uses this really interesting sort of hard to figure out hypothetical here. Then it shall come to pass that if 10 men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead with one uh, who will burn the bodies, picks up the bodies to take them out of the house because of disease and other things like that, um, uh, he will say to one inside the house, are there any more with you? Then someone will say, none. And he will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. Lest, why? Why would it, this uh, be uh, phrased this way? Lest he become angry and uh, uh, keep more for judgment. That's sort of what this very confusing little uh, paragraph is about. He's just talking about there's going to be more judgment and that the terror of the Assyrian captivity in the north is going to be terrible. That's what that's all about. For behold, the Lord gives a command. He will break the great house into bits. What do you think the great house is? That's the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was broken into bits in 722 B.C. Uh, but he's also going to break the little house into pieces. What do you think the little house is? That's the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was broken into bits <laughs> or pieces in 586 B.C., you see. Hey, do horses run on rocks? Does one plow uh, there with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over load the bar, who say, have not we taken care of them for ourselves? by our own strength. This is sort of saying, hey, you guys don't act irrationally when you work and you are out in the areas of commerce or you're out in the business circles. Why do you act irrationally and don't listen and are stubborn when it comes to what the Lord says to us? Wow. That's what that's saying right there. And you you talk about these great victories in life about being in your own strength. But behold, I'm going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, that's Assyria, says the Lord God of hosts, and they'll afflict you from the entrance of Hamath, that's in the north, to the valley of the Arabah south. Okay, watch. We're through that part of Amos, the part that the Lord talks about, the corruption. And now he turns Amos and gives him visions. Now let me ask you something, Why do you think the Lord used visions of locusts, which reminds us of Joel? Remember, he's a farmer. He's out there. The Lord just uses what he knows. Isn't that great? I think it's great. Anyway, uh, so the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. What's that all about? This is really serious because what, what happened was the king's mowings. we got to tell Jim Dandy about this. Mowing is in the Bible. You see that? Anyway, uh, the king's mowings was when the king would go through and take the taxes from the crop, the first run over the crop. But then the second run was going to be eaten up by locusts. That's the vision that he has, which means that Israel was going to be left with nothing for food. That's what this is all about. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, watch this, this is the, guys, gals, this is the sheep herder from Tekoa, or wherever he's from, I think Tekoa might be Isaiah. But anyway, the sheep herder, right? He's the sheep herder. Yeah, it is from Tekoa. He's the sheep herder from Tekoa. And here he says, with the Lord. Do you see how it must have been when he was out in the fields and the farms that he walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord and received from the Lord. And by the way, as you study this, you know he knew the word of God. The word of God and prayer goes hand in hand. Just look in the book of Acts. If you want to be a great prayer or communer with God, you want to have great communion with God, get your Bible out on your prayer times. Read through things. Talk to the Lord about it. Walk with him through it. Here, Amos was that type of guy, and he's like, whoa, I see this vision. Lord, you want me to go tell them that? That's really bad. So he says, oh, Lord God. Now think about this. Forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And the Lord relented concerning this. He relented. You know, you guys and gals, as you read through the one-year Bible, you see this in several places in the Bible. Abraham prayed like this with the Lord in Genesis 18. You know Moses did it, Exodus 32, Numbers 14. You know Samuel did it in 1 Samuel 12, Elijah, 1 Kings 18, and Paul in Romans 9 and 10, right at the beginning of the chapters. There's this thing where, man, Amos was so intimate with the Lord that he could go to him in a humble and righteous way and say, Lord God, forgive, I pray. That's a prayer that they may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Wow. Thus the Lord God showed me uh, something else. Watch this. Behold, the Lord God, God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. He saw a vision of fire basically burning up the land. And that there would be some sort of drought. Some people believe a drought right here. In verse four uh, or chapter 4, he talks about a drought. But watch this. This Amos, who'd been with the Lord out in those fields at night and during the day. The hot, the heat, the cool, the, the being scared, the being frightened, whether he could measure up, whether he could bring in the crops or not. Watch this. Oh, Lord God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Wow. Now, here's another thing. There's a vision of the plumb line. Now, I don't know much about this because I don't build stuff, but there's some builders in here. And when you plumb line something, you're measuring to make sure it's straight or measures up. So he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Now, what is happening here? By the way, you know how in some of the other intercessors like Moses, they would plead back the promises of God? Remember that? You know that, right, when you're doing prayer? Well, here he doesn't plead back the, the covenants that the Lord made with the people. You know why? Because they'd broken the covenants. They didn't follow his word, so it was not possible for him to say, Oh, Lord, please. Because of your covenant. Well, they broke the covenant. So it appears like as he stretches out the plumb line or shows him a plumb line, what he's saying is we're measuring Israel and Israel doesn't measure up. So I'm not going to relent this time. So then in this verse, and we've already covered this in the first chapter, there's this little biographical interlude about Amos. So this guy named Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Remember, Bethel's in the north, but it's the southernmost city of the two worship centers. There's one at Bethel and there's one at Dan. How about that? We have a Dan here. Okay. And at both those places, they set up those golden calves in the worship centers. And here, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Hey, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos has said. Now, I want you to notice something. This is the religious guy, folks, of the religious center. It's the religious guy of the religious center. And he, watch this, he doesn't believe the word of the Lord. He wants to get the guy out of there, as a matter of fact. Even within religion, you see There can be false teachers and false prophets and lots of those things who don't follow the word of the Lord. In this case, this Amaziah says, For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now that's a great misrepresentation. He never said, uh, uh, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And in fact, Jeroboam didn't die by the sword. He died a natural death. Uh, but his kids had a different fate. Anyway, Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, now watch this. Oh, this makes me sick. If you ever come out of a church or a place or a religious system that was like, um, uh, what's the word, condescending and just ooh icky and legalistic and all that sort of thing, is icky a word, then Amaziah, Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer. He's like making fun of him there. Uh, You're like a seer. You think you know what you're talking about. Flee to the land of Judah. In fact, go back from where you came from. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it's the royal residence. You know what he's saying right there? (laughs) You're not one of us. You don't fit here. You don't belong here. You don't have the right robes on. Remember, this is a farmer and a sheep herder. I bet he didn't dress like they dressed. Man, if you want to come and you want to dress up and have a suit on, praise the Lord. Come. Have a suit on. Praise the Lord. Do that. If that helps you worship, by all means, do it. But if you want to come in jeans and a t-shirt and tennis shoes and your heart is to serve the Lord and to worship the Lord, do that too. Here, you're not our kind of people, man. That's what this religious guy is saying. That happens all around the world. Here, the, the true prophet of God who'd been trained by God He goes into the worship center of the people of God in the north, and they say, you don't belong here. You don't measure up. Wow, that's rough, inappropriate. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I, I," you know, when I always say, you know, the Bible says this. (laughs) If somebody comes against you, you, I think the Bible says, well, agree with your adversary quickly. (laughs) Tim, you're da 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 -da 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 -da. And, you know, the answer is, you don't know the half of it, man. I agree. That's what Amos does here. He says, man, I was no prophet, (laughs) nor was I a son of a prophet. I didn't come up in a religious family. I I don't really, wasn't trained as a prophet formally as you would want me to be trained, Amaziah. Uh, But I was a sheep breeder. I just worked. And a tender of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me. That's the beautiful part. As I followed the flock, the Lord just took me as I was working. Just right where I was working. The Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel and don't spout against the house of Isaac. In other words, I have to say what the Lord has asked me to say. I can't not say it. The burden, you see the burden. This man had a burden. Therefore, thus says the Lord, watch this, your wife Amaziah shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land and Israel shall be led away captive from his own land. We don't have history of that happening, but no doubt it did. Here's where the little play on words, I got excited, so sorry about that. Thus the Lord God showed me, Behold, a basket of summer fruit. That's a word in the Greek there. Or excuse me, the Hebrew there. Summer fruit. It's, it starts with a Q. A Y I S. Caius or Caius. I don't know how he actually say it. But he says, "Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit." And he said, "Amos, what do you see?" So I said, "A basket, a basket of summer fruit." And the Lord said to me, "Watch this." The word or the phrase "the end" is a word that starts with a Q, an I, and an S. It's like a play on words. He, he's like, God showed me a basket of fr- summer fruit, and the Lord said to me, "It's the end." And it, they sound almost identical. And a lot of people who study this sort of thing uh, see how uh, the Lord, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put this together. And especially if you're reading it in the Hebrew, it has a lot of meaning. This sort of Anyway, this literary technique. and that also, by the way, just says to me, it's so beautiful, how the Lord took the scriptures and the men who wrote the scriptures and the people who were involved in putting together the, the scriptures. And it remember, the inspiration of the Bible wasn't an event, it's a process. And that's beautiful. He took this man who was a sheep herder and he did these things, and he even had and built in to this some sort of literary technique. I mean, it's all inspired, folks. Well, anyway, a basket of summer fruit. Well, what's summer fruit? Well, hey folks, guess what we had at our house last night? So awesome. You get it warm, man, put some butter on the side. Oh my my. Banana bread. You know why we had banana bread? No, because all of our bananas were rotten. <laughs> like summer fruit. And that's the point. When We had some bananas that were really green and then some bananas that were really brown. And summer fruit is right there closer towards the brown ones. And what the Lord is saying here is, uh, the end has come upon my people of Israel. They're like summer fruit. The time has run out for their usefulness. You see that? that's what this is all about i won't pass by them anymore and the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day uh, says the lord god many dead bodies everywhere they shall be thrown out in silence hear this you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail this the lord's saying judgment's coming and it's going to be awful and deadly but look what they were doing they were cruel They swallowed up the needy. They made the poor of the land fail. There was this socioeconomic difference, and people weren't helping those who were less fortunate than them. Boy, is that a big word uh, for us. Saying, when will the noon moon be passed that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? In other words, let's get church over so we can get back to our business activity. That's what that's saying right there. Let's just go through the motions. We'll get done. We'll watch the Steelers. We'll get ready for Monday where we can put the tie up and make some money, man. Is there anything wrong with making money and being responsible? Of course not. But these people put a special and different emphasis on it. It wasn't about the rest that God re- or, uh, asked that we take. Well, anyway, making the ephah small or ask them to take. Uh, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit. There was chronic corruption here, folks. By the way, in Leviticus, you know this because you study Leviticus so much, verses, or chapter 19 and Deuteronomy 25, the Lord put into the law dishonest gain by messing around with the scales. So that's in there, and they were breaking it. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. Everything's got to go Monday through Saturday or whatever. For them, you you get what I'm saying. Commerce time. Everything's got to be sold. Sell, sell, sell. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Surely I will never forget any of their works. Oh my. Okay, now is where we're treading on holy ground. Well, it's all holy ground because the whole thing is inspired. But I want you to see something. When you read this, the Lord says, I will never forget any of their works. These are the people of God, right? Let's turn with me to Hebrews 10. Go there. Go to Hebrews 10. I want you to just see it with your own eyes. Go to verse 16. or 16. This is, this is um, uh, in a section in my Bible that's summarized thusly. Christ's death perfects the sanctified, the set-apart ones. Look at this in verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. Oh, praise the Lord. He puts them into our hearts. He doesn't just put them on a stony tablet, cold dead tablet. He puts it right here. And gives us the resource from in here to live it out. Where before we had to look at it and read it and try to live up to it. Now we have the resource and ability inside the Holy Spirit. Well, anyway, he says, I will write them. Then he adds, watch this, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of sins, watch this, there is no longer an offering for sin. You see, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's wrath has been satisfied to the place where He could say, I won't count their sin against them anymore. Oh my goodness. Isn't that just lovely and beautiful? We were singing these songs up there. Uh, give it to me again. Guilt and Shame. What was the song we were singing? Come on, worship leader. Um uh, you, do a, you know you can put a what well, I am set free You're, yeah, thank you. Uh, I am set free. Remember the I don't know about you. Don't you think prior to Jesus Christ? I mean I think of my life there's a lot of guilt that I had to deal with and a lot of shame. And the Lord has done that and done an amazing work and now, I've put that in the past because of the blood of Christ. I have a healthy knowledge of what happened, but I don't live in guilt and shame because I'm free now, because I can agree with my adversary quickly. You want to come and accuse me about what I used to do? And and do it. You're right. I was probably worse than you're telling me. But the Lord has paid for my sins and washed me clean, washed me by the blood, and now I'm free to live fully ablaze for Christ. Amen. That's right. You know what I'm saying? You're free, man. See, this, when we're back in Amos, isn't very free. Because the Lord says, I'll never forget any of these works. Shall the land not tremble for thus, and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. In other words, he's saying the river in Egypt would rise and fall 25 or more feet every year, every season, what he's saying is, it's going to heave and the judgment's going to be so shaking and so terrible, just like that heaving of the river. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God. Now, watch, folks. Now we're getting somewhere. That day. Now, we're starting to see, of course, he's talking about that day when the Assyrians are going to come for the north and that day when the Babylonians are going to come for the south. But he's even looking, many people believe, beyond that to the day of the Lord. Why? Because I will make the sun go down at noon when there's darkness. And so people are starting to see not only the near fulfillment of this Of what happened here, but a far fulfillment of the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is when the Lord takes and pours out his wrath on a Christ rejecting world during the seven years of tribulation and deals with the nation of Israel in the time of Jacob's trouble. At the end of that, he's going to come back with his saints, you and I, and to rule and reign. But what is he going to do? He's going to come back in judgment. And he's going to put everything right, Armageddon. And he's going to set up a millennial reign of peace and bounty and beauty. Well, that's wonderful, but he's starting to make reference to that. And look, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentations. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I'm going to send a famine on the land. Watch this. Not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Who? shoot. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking The word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, that's the worship center in the north, and as the way of Beersheba, that's way south, they shall fall and never rise again. In other words, the judgment that's coming on Israel and Babylon is going to be awful. And in fact, There's going to be a famine, but something way worse than a famine that doesn't let you eat bread. There's going to be a famine, a a time where, man, it's going to be hard to even hear the words of the Lord, which are like bread to his people, life-sustaining. You know, one thing is, this reminds us that the worst kind of famine isn't whether your 401k dipped this month, which it did if you have a 401k, or whether you lost in the stock, or whatever. The worst kind of famine is not eating up the words of the Lord. And so, look, one of the ways in which you can preclude yourself from doing that is make an appointment with the Lord every morning, every evening, and be filled up with His words. Well, watch this, chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing by... uh, the altar. And he said, now some people believe this is a vision of the temple being destroyed. The temple was destroyed in 586 BC. I'm not so sure about that though, because he's really mostly talking to the Northern kingdoms and the temple was in the South. So he's probably speaking about the worship centers in Bethel and Dan. I saw the Lord standing by the altar. Here's another vision. Strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake. By the way, the temple in the south was uh, uh, destroyed by fire, not this way. So it's probably talking about the northern worship centers. Anyway, and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away. And he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. All these idolatrous worshipers can't get away. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, that's a mountain, a big mountain, uh, there and going towards the north. From there I will search and take them, though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. Oh, just, just look. But John chapter three. John chapter three. Remember in Numbers, Moses, they were. Guess why there were serpents sent into the camp? Because they were complainers. Who hears a complainer by nature? Oh man, I'll put it up. <laughs> anyway they sent serpents into the camp and the people were dying from the poison so the lord said to uh, moses just take a bronze serpent put it up on a pole and if people will just look up there they'll be saved here serpents were taking care of them but we're saved when we trust and believe in jesus john chapter three who said i am the bronze serpent the very thing that was killing them was put on the pole the sins of the world were imputed to Christ on the tree. Oh, man, what, a, what an amazing gospel. Well, anyway, uh, from there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And you go on in the next verse, For Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn. All of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. Who, he who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the water of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me? Now listen, this is not the Lord saying Ethiopian people are lesser The people of Israel considered themselves higher than many of the countries around them, including Ethiopia, and God's using the way that they treated other nations against them. Do you get what I'm saying? Some people take that verse and go, look, God's got a thing against other races or countries. You see that? That's not this. He's just saying, you folks think you're better than Well, are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from this place called Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom. Folks, this is the nation of Israel. He calls it the sinful kingdom. That's sad. That's really sad. That's what they became to him, the sinful kingdom. And I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not, here it comes, this is the way the prophets always do it. <laughs> yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. In other words, there's mercy. There's mercy, says the Lord, for surely I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain as sifted in a sieve. You see that? God is going to sift his people via exile. That's what that means. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. In other words, wake up, people of God. Okay, now watch. I see the glazed look on your eye. You're like, my goodness, is he going to stop? Well, I can't stop because this is the meat. this is the man, do you ever eat a hot fudge sundae and you, the guy puts the hot fudge and you're like, yeah, it's so awesome. But then it melts and it goes to the bottom and you're like, shoot, I want it on top up there. And you, so you eat real fast and then you get to the place, that place where the the vanilla and the hot fudge and the nuts, they all come together and it's heaven. Okay. That's this. On that day, I will ri- raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. You know Israel doesn't have a king and hasn't had a king, you know since Jesus was here. You understand that? And yet the Bible tells us in the book of Samuel chapter 7, that there's a covenant with the house of David, that a king from the line of David is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever. So here, he says, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And the tabernacle of David did fall down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Rebuild what? This line of David, this house of David. And this could be a reference to the temple that currently is knocked down. Do you know this, folks? If you believe in pre-tribulation rapture, pre-millennialist interpretation of A futurist view of the book of Revelation, you know what you're going to come up with? When you look inside the seven-year period of tribulation, ha, the book of Revelation tells us by implication that a tabernacle during that period is going to be measured. Well, guys, when you go to Israel right now, there's no tabernacle, or there's no temple, excuse me. I've been saying tabernacle, but I mean temple. And also, in Daniel uh, chapter 9, when it talks about this covenant that the Antichrist is going to make, (laughs) the covenant that the Antichrist is going to make uh, a pact or an agreement that's going to sort of set in motion the tribulation period, well, many people believe that there's reference there to the tribulation when... The Antichrist sets himself up on the throne of the temple. And why am I telling you that? Well, because there's coming a time when Israel is going to have its king from the line of David. And there's going to be a temple. It's going to be repaired and raised up and rebuilt. It says that they may possess, look at this, verse 12, the remnant of Edom, And all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, the people of God are going to include all the Gentiles who have been grafted in because of the blood of Jesus, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, verse 13, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Do you understand what that's saying? You know, during one season, you send out the guy who plows, but then a couple months later, or even several months later, you send out the person who reaps the harvest. Well, what this is saying is, you are going to plow so fast, you're going to have the reaper running into the plowman, that it's going to be so bountiful. There's going to be a time when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. As soon as you sow the seed, you'll be ready to tread trample it out, or tramp it out, and all the hills shall flow with, or the mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Folks, this is really interesting. You don't plant on the side of a hill. By the way, when you go to Israel, they're so resourceful in the northern parts of Israel where there's some mountains, you see where they planted on the side of a hill. (laughs) When a mountain. But anyway, what this is saying is it's going to be so plentiful and so bountiful, bountiful that the hills are going to be flowing with all of these things. And I'm going to bring back the captives of my people, Israel, and they're going to build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. And I will plant them in their land and watch. And no longer shall they be pulled up. Folks, the precursor to all this happened in 1948. They were planted back in their land. And though there's coming a day of trouble for Israel, the day of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year period of tribulation, there's coming a time when there's going to be bounty and peace. No longer shall they be pulled up from the land I've given them, says the Lord. And when will that be? It's going to be, right? Rapture of the church. No more prophecy or no more things have to happen for us to be raptured out of here. It's all set for that. Seven year period of tribulation. In the middle of it, the Antichrist sets himself up on the temple or in the temple and says, Worship me. And it's going to be a real rough time when God pours out his wrath. At the end of this time, Christ is going to come back with his saints, Armageddon, rule and reign for a thousand years in this millennial kingdom. That's what you're reading about right there. You know what happens every time we go through this as we close up? The things of the world that I worry about... (laughs) just sort of go away. We are as part, look at this. Folks, there's just a little bit of people here in the sanctuary, and I don't care if there's one person, it doesn't bother me. I'm not commenting on that. There's just a few people here in the sanctuary. Because people aren't interested so much. And we need to wake up and devour the word of the Lord so that when we go back out, we'll share with a dark and hurting world. And I want you to see just this little remnant right here. Watch this. You're part of a plan that's going to go on into eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Shoot. That is amazing. Your life is meant for so much more than just the white picket fence and all the things that come with that. Nothing wrong with it. While we're here, even as we're talking about it, while we're here, don't you want to do this? Don't you want to just lay your life out? And when it's over, you know, physically, lest the Lord comes for you first. When it's over physically, you could just say, I spent it all for you, Lord. And the only reason we would do that is by his grace and mercy. I've got to tell you something. i got to just tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. I get in trouble talking about this sometimes. You know what people say to me? They say, my gosh, it seems like you're making us feel uh, like we got to do stuff. Like, you're, you're, this is just too much to live up to. I've had several people tell me that. Well, in my opinion, then, you don't understand the gospel. Because <laughs> there's nothing you have to do. But when you come to be with the Lord, everything we get to do, all for his glory. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I just thank you, and I, I thank you that you put this. In 750 B.C., Lord, you were telling Amos, just this sheep herder, to go up and speak to the royals, and the king, and the priests, and to warn them of coming judgment. And Lord, in some ways, we're called to do that. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you'd give us all a burden for people who are dying and don't know the gospel. I pray that we would cry over the sins of our fellow men and women, not in a legalistic way pointing out sins, but praying that many would come to know you and be saved by you because they're counting and trusting in your sacrifice. Lord, help us to have many divine appointments this week as we go and do things and meet people. And Lord, just help us to rest and remember that our sins you remember no more. In Jesus' name, amen.